We are in Champions League, man. That was my Dilly din, dilly dong, come on. I will love it if we beat them. Love it. This is the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast with Gary Kearney. Hello, welcome to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. My name is Gary Kernin. Joining us for this episode are David and Keith Mayer. So co-authors of the brand new book, Gold Dust, How to Become a More Effective Coach Quickly. I've read the book, loved it, wanted to get them on. So as always, I won't ruin the book for you. I urge you to get it. But before you do, have a listen and let me know what you think. At Gary Kernin on Instagram, at Gary Kernin on Twitter. We are very excited to have a new sponsor on the podcast, Bounce Athletics. If you are a coach running a summer camp, Bounce Athletics offers fully customized micro-stitch premium camp balls for under $9 a ball. To receive free shipping with delivery in May, order by February 15th. Same camp balls that are used by a lot of D1 programs, Wake Forest, Crichton, Texas Tech, Michigan State, Florida State, to name just a few. Bounce Athletics also offers NFHS and FIFA-approved custom textured training balls for under $25 a ball and can turn orders around in as little as four weeks with DHL Direct Shipping Air so you're ready for the spring season. Modern Soccer Coach listeners can get $50 discount on their first order of custom balls or train invest by mentioning the podcast when they email info at Bounce Athletics to begin the order process. So please go ahead, check out Bounce Athletics. I met them at convention, looked at their product, absolutely brilliant and great deals on it as well. Excited to be teaming up with them. One more little announcement, the Modern Soccer Coach Community Platform webinar for January is on player development and it is out now. It's up on the platform. So three presentations, one from myself on creating reflection and review processes with players on your team. We've got Oliver Gage talking about the role of analysis and data in improving attacking players. And then Jonas Monkvold on improving individuals in a team training session. So we've had Jonas and Ollie on the podcast. Absolutely brilliant. Their presentations are first class. So please go ahead, check that out. It's out now on the Modern Soccer Coach platform and you can get access to over 300 video exercises and all the webinars we've done up until this point for free. 14-day free trial and then only $6 a month, modernsoccercoach.com slash community. Okay, over to David and Keith. Enjoy. David, Keith, thanks so much for joining me today on the Modern Soccer Coach podcast. Excited to have you both on. Looking forward to it. Yeah, we're excited about it. Thanks for the opportunity. Really enjoyed the book. And obviously, what I try to do in these podcasts when we bring people on from books is not to ruin it for them. The first question I wanted to ask you was, the, the bottom of the book said, how to become more effective coach quickly. But as I got through the book, I realized that there was a real long-term focus in all of these goals and objectives. What's more difficult, the short-term of awareness or the long-term of committing to these processes? For me, Gary, I think first and foremost, the most important thing is the, the here and now. And, you know, to, to change or adapt to what you're actually doing, you actually have to be aware that there may be a, a better way 
or a different way that you can approach things. And I think that initial bit of being being open and being receptive to learning, just the the possibility of improvement and growth increases massively. Then, um, and you know, once you've got that initial and you're you're in a place where you're you're open and receptive to learn, you can make those initial strides. Um, but I would I, I would liken it a little bit to. January 1st and you get out of bed and you go to the gym on the first day of the year and for the first few days you're in a great place and you can go but the the key is is at that point you've got to be consistent you've got to stay true to what your aims and objectives are and what it is you're, you're trying to achieve um, so you'll have strong principles around what it is you do but flexibility to learn and, and being consistent to what it is and where it is you want to go. Keith, you know, in your times and working in academies, you must have seen hundreds of coaches with different lifespans of coaching careers. Is, is that what sets them apart, the ability to to connect and, and to commit to it long term? And Yeah, I guess it all depends on where you started from, Gary, initially. I think uh, the X's and O's, which is the, the practice designs, are massively important, of course. But in actual fact, it's a matter of once you start to get a good grounding and a good understanding and a greater awareness of what's actually taking place from the practices is it gives it gives a different perspective in terms of the connection and the longevity of coaches you know the, the lifespan of coaches within uh, within certain academies uh, throughout the world in actual fact dependent upon the, the coaches uh, Outcomes, whether they want to just stay in the development part of the game where performance is important or you want to go as a result-based coach where winning is important, it definitely changes. So I think there's a, you know, as we, as we develop and evolve as an individual, they can change in time. So I don't think there's any specific answer to the question other than, you know, an individual's objective and outcomes you know, do you want to establish to be either a performance or a result coach? And that changes. But, you know, ultimately, it's, it's around, as the book alludes to, it's about that connection. And certain coaches are resonate more to the, the younger side, the younger players, uh, where others might want to go into the adult game. You know, that, that result base is massively important. So it, it changes. I don't think... Uh, in my own in my own opinion is there is a, a, an answer to it but I can give you my thoughts and opinions around seeing so many coaches in my uh, in my tenure uh, being a coach developer on the FA and equal working within the academies because mm. it, it changes you know as long as the the academy and the their out the outcomes of the academy are true to themselves and the coach that is brought in follows those values and beliefs then you know there's a there's a lifespan if you you, you're, uh, you can put your slippers there's no point in putting slippers on pipes mm. because they're very challenging environments as you probably already were the book flows with stories and you know there, there's a lot of theory but it's backed up with stories and i think that's a that's a good piece of reflection you know whenever you're saying oh well i never really looked at this here aspect of it in depth and the first one that that i experienced in the book was the, the insight to John, who was the quiet, introverted player and how the breakthrough over a long period of time came. 
And I started to reflect on, do we start to, I don't know, subconsciously overvalue this loud communication aspect of a player because we think of that as, you know, the leader on the pitch, the defensive structure that we need communication for. And is that to the detriment of working a little bit harder to understand individuals who maybe don't show these behaviours to us through the you know loud vocals or maybe they're not as comfortable in that form of communication? I mean, what do you think about this, coaching quiet and introverted players? Yeah, I think who were the players, uh, the first thing, who, who were the players being loud for, Gary? So, you know, there will be players that come out and they're loud, they, they want to challenge things, they want to speak, and that's totally fine too because it's what works for them. Um, so when we look at coaches that are forcing, forcing the issue, are they making players be loud because that's what the coach wants? Or is it because... You know it's what works and you've got to be aware of what is it that's making the player comfortable um i'm actually working with a player now that i've i've just spent the weekend with and he's it's quite funny he reminds me of johnny has that similar personality um he's quite quiet he's he's a really nice kid um, he doesn't say much and he doesn't need to say much for me it's not for me to intrude in his world and force him to be louder when the world that he's living in works for him and he's happy. Um, and I, I think you know you're in when when you're in school and you're growing up and, and a, a teacher a teacher forces you to get up to the front of the class and they make you speak. And a lot of people have. I think it's well known a lot of people have a fear of public speaking well they get up at the front of the class and it actually makes it worse and the teacher I don't think the teacher would do that on purpose because they want to make you feel uncomfortable uh, they may not be aware of that's what they're doing so I just think there's different ways and there's better ways and if somebody's quiet and they're happy in what they do you can bring them on board in different ways. They don't have to speak. They don't have to be loud if, if, if they're not comfortable with it. And you can work with them and make them comfortable in the world that they live in. Yeah, I think, I think what we, it all depends on, as a coach individually, what you bring to the party as well. You only need to look at your own state of mind and how that can that can change things. We, we need to be more sensitive to the needs of the people in front of us, or the athletes, and be tuned in to what's actually occurring in front of us, as opposed to what we think. So we, we mind read on many occasions, Gary, where we, just because a player's either overly boisterous or is too quiet, uh, we're only picking up a very, very minute window of, of information of what is actually occurring, but it's our perception of it, and it can be misconstrued. It can certainly lead us down a rabbit hole whereby we start piecing the dots together, and the information we're trying to piece together is either about a player that's overly boisterous or insufficiently uh, communicating. So, so therefore, we, we start... Uh, to put these pictures together which then generate feelings around 
you know, a, an opinion about a player or a group of players. So, you know, again, the book brings to life true life experiences from field experts or people who've got an element of expertise in their specific field. And so, as David's already alluded to, we just need to be tuned in a little bit more. And, you know, there's uh, John Maxwell, the author and speaker, American author, uh, pastor, uh, he, he has a quote where he, where he says, you know, people may hear your words, but they feel your attitude. And that makes a lot of sense to me. But unless we actually listen and pay deep attention to what's going on, so we're visually observing things, and a bit quieter in our own head, then, you know, information, we're, we're a little bit calmer. Now, I know the game's frenetic and emotional, all of those, we bring that to the party as well, but it's important we do pay more attention in terms of communication, because it's a vast and big word, isn't it, where we have different interpretations of what is meant by that, but culturally we could have massive differences you know, you, you mentioned John. John, uh, you know, a Nigerian kid who's who who not, doesn't look you in the eye. Well, if we just check out what the Nigerian culture is like, some of it they don't. So, from my perspective, where the player doesn't look you in the eye, it's being disrespectful. Well, you it's the opposite. They're showing, they are showing respect. So it's been being tuned into that. Uh, because it impacts them and it impacts the it impacts the relationship, which which we need to we need to be very careful about. The the parallels between how we deal with people individually from a interpersonal communication, and then how we are trying to or what we produce on the pitch, and I find really really interesting. So, the example of the guitar teacher and how you have people that play the guitar a hundred different ways, but then in soccer. You know, especially youth clubs, we want to produce this blanket standard of a technical player who can do X, Y, and Z. And is this why we struggle to to produce creative players? Is because as a coach, we want to lead the way in almost a manufacture a certain template of what we believe. What's your thoughts on that? I, I believe so, Gary. And I think if we look at um, we look at the countries that have produced. I guess world-class players. So you look at your Brazil and and Spain, those countries. A lot of the, for me, soccer it's a playground sport. Growing up, where a lot of these kids may not have been coached, they may have a little bit of coaching, but it's a lot of playtime and a lot of enjoyment within that. And and uh, soccer, it is a complex game, but it's it's a game that requires different types of players. So chances are, if you play chess with pawns against someone that's got a full set, you're not gonna you're not gonna come out on top. So the sport requires it, it, it does require, you know, that general play, I guess the the one that, that, that a lot of people look to develop that's steady and they do the job well, but it also requires Mavericks. And there are there are people that we've spoken to that are that are featured in the book. Um, one of them is a a rugby coach who's he's been one of the most successful rugby coaches that's ever come over to to the UK and he's 
incredible guy and, and an incredible coach and, and he worked with Mavericks he had a, he had a player that came in that was he was in regards to what was seen as the norm he was just off the wall in terms of what he could do on a, on a game day but he had to allow and, and let that player do that to an extent within the structure of what they're doing and um, if, if we as coaches I think if we pigeonhole players early on and even as they're going into the development and we berate them for mistakes and we don't allow them to experiment and explore um, and also taking away the decisions by I think talking too much and telling them what we want then we could actually take the magician out of them because there's some players that they may be wired differently. They may be wired to a, to a point where they want to be curious, they want to try things out. And I think that should be encouraged, especially when the kids are younger. They need to go and explore. They need to be curious to learn. They need to be curious to experiment and try things. And I think, I think as coaches, I'd say the vast majority of us may have been guilty at some point where we may be coaching a game and we tell a player to do something and he doesn't do it at that exact moment and then a couple of seconds later he does something magical and all of a sudden what he's done has actually been better than what we thought was going to take place mm -hmm. and you think I, I think we have to be just very mindful around how we, we manage manage those magical players that can unlock doors in a game that, that is very structured and, and in a game that, that does require pieces of magic to make things happen and you want it to be fun, you want them to enjoy it and I think that's how we can do that I think uh, when we were aiming to create master locksmiths people who are young players, male and female, who are able to to see things that a complicated player that works in a very complex way but it's simple for them when we when we discard that it's taken away that genius from within I think a lot of it is coach affected primarily down to the practice designs and the ability of the coach to be able to see things as they are and be able to uh, to create opportunities so uh, as a simple way I have a, my best mate on the planet is a little West Island Terry who's sat beside me at the moment he's 15 years of age and if I put him in the desert driving a tank he would just, there's nothing he can hit there's nothing he needs to do other than just drive the tank those, press the button press forward and away he'll go the big challenge though for him is if I put him in, if I put him in a city or a town where he's got to make decisions, where there's traffic lights, there's roundabouts, there's other, there's other vehicles, there's contraflow, where they've got to make these big decisions that are crucial. Otherwise, if he doesn't make the right decision at the right times, uh, then we're going to have we're going to have conflict. We're going to have a car crash. So, in in short, the practice designs and giving players the opportunity to make decisions without David mentioning it, without too much intervention, where the ball's rolling a lot, but your information that you're providing to the players bespoke, it's for him or her 
and it helps take them down the path of you know, being being creative but being enthusiastic to go with the party or be with the party or be you're working with them because they're on the same they're on this the same journey or be it either younger or older depending on you as a coach but the practice is up that can help either unlock this genius and so that we can create these master locksmiths that work in a simple way but because we we want it so linear it prevents them the opportunity to see the accurate pictures on on an actual on the landscape of the pitch and playing in areas of the pitch or on the pitch where that's where they play where I've seen goalkeepers or I've seen centre-backs playing centre-forward or midfield during practice which do have a place but the older players as they get older and they go higher up the game then it's important that they're seeing the same accurate pitches as they would during the game and if we restrict that then we're squeezing the lifeblood out of the game and I think currently there are very exciting players within the game but your question Gary is, is, is a very interesting one and I'm, and I'm going to ask you a question uh, how would you answer that? I would say yeah oh, I mean for sure I mean I would I feel very strongly that the coaches because like you said there how we picture the game is how we now manufacture the game I think 10 years ago four moment model was somewhat revolutionary in terms of our organization and for our tactical setup of our teams but now by like you said how we practice how we view session design how we plan our session where we put emphasis on our session i think there's a large majority of what we do today that actually uh, restricts thinking of players and restricts the player to do something off the cuff and now, when I reverse engineer my experience in football, my best experiences was whenever those limitations didn't exist, either as a coach or a player. So I'm, I'm fascinated by... Because in, in England, I think, I think it's moving back. And, and again, outside looking in, I think it's moving back towards the creative players are getting a little bit more leeway, ownership, whatever it is. But in the US, I don't see that happening. And, and that's just my opinion. That's interesting. I think because we're the the modern coach, the term that's used, but I think we're becoming more educated on not so much how players learn, although we speak a lot about it. Not sure that people tend to understand exactly what he's meant by that. Because we go down the this learner, the that learner, he's a visual, he's an auditory, he's a, he's a kinesthetic. The understanding of all of that is just a term. We're actually, when we use multi sensory information that can allow the player so we're getting to know them about what works best for them and I think we, we tend and I've been very good at finding out what they're not good at in as opposed to encouraging them what they are good at and instead of working a, across this very linear and uh, very restrictive way of I think he or she should be this type of player and they're not doing X. Well, what are, what are they good? What is their air game? What is the very, very... Uh, they're a technician. When I refer to technician, when they're very good at going past players, well, 
and you want them to go on the left and they're good on the left well great just we need to encourage that they'll find ways they'll always unlock doors to find different ways if we stick them in the environment and stick them in you know practice designs are realistic and relevant to the game the difference now with the UK and uh, I'm going to say the English players are very much going towards that creative um, curious player where you want them to explore you want them to do things and I, and I think you look now at the, the higher level English players that are coming into the national team you're seeing a lot of that you're seeing players that are brave and you're seeing players that want to what they want to hurt when they're playing it's not about just passing to pass which is okay but we've got a lot of players now that want to go and explore and when I look at in the US I don't see it as much um, I think it there's a bit of a, a cultural thing in there um, but when for me I, when I'm working with players I really try and encourage them to explore I really encourage them to be brave in 1v1 situations um, and to go and do and try things that they maybe not have been able to or allowed to do previously because only by doing it and exploring will they then know that they may be actually good at it and if you encourage them to just pass and pass and we'll keep it but when you've got a player in a 1v1 situation higher up the field for me with the, with the younger kids especially is go and have a go go on off you go go on can you go past him and be brave and, and see what you've got show me some magic We'll take a quick break here to talk about Bounce Athletics Dynamo Goals, the world's most portable and durable small-sided goals. Only takes five seconds to set up or fold flat and utilised by the entire North American soccer spectrum, from rec programmes to MLS clubs to create small-sided dynamic training and game environments. Available in 3x5 and 4x6 size, Dynamo Goal requires no staking, so it's perfect on all training surfaces. Net customization is also available for those programs looking to create a professional training environment. The goals start at only $257 per goal with free shipping and Modern Soccer Coach listeners get a $50 discount on their order when they use the offer code MODERN, not case sensitive, at checkout. Visit www.dynamogoal for complete details. Back to David and Keith. It's interesting because... The coach will control the environment and how much of this these environments are restricting players and that's that's what we're trying to talk about right now and as you move in the book you talk about Vince Lombardi only by knowing yourself can you be a better leader but do you think it's difficult that our starting point from a traditional coach development platform is the first thing you need to do as a coach is take your badges but like you said there Keith we in our badges what are we taught to do go in find fault stop correct and then modify it towards what you want to see so you know how, what are what is the step today for better I suppose uh, better self-awareness or better understanding that as a coach the more you know, the less you know. And sometimes the better you do in terms of your setup, the more restrictive you can do more damage than good almost. I think, you know, Gary, the, the first thing with that is is truly knowing what you value 
and truly knowing what you believe and what it is you're here to bring to the party as a coach. So I, I truly believe that I'm in a privileged position to provide a positive learning environment for the players that I work with, but also the coaches that I, I mentor because I want both the players and the coaches to have a great learning experience. So for me looking at that, knowing what I believe and knowing the things that I value and the things that I stand for and the principles that I have, from that point, knowing what I want to achieve, it's then up to me to go out and, and find out ways to do it, find out ways that I can do it better, um, learn by doing, because I think that's a, a huge thing because I've gone out and I've had sessions where I've gone, it didn't work and I've learned by doing it and I think also on top of that is learning from others around you who are also doing it and and for me I've been in such a fortunate position growing up from being a from when I can really remember where I've I've been going watching some of the best coaches in the in England in academies and and I've learned a lot from observation but then I have to go out and and do it but when you know what you value and when you know what you believe and you know what you stand for, that's where you can then start implementing and looking at ways in which you can achieve what it is you want to get. Mm. The, there was a co a coaches, and you mentioned coach education, yeah, what they do on courses, they, they give you the framework, that's really all that's required they give you the basics it's a framework and then beyond that you branch out and you you we then adapt or sorry we adopt what what's been taught shown explained uh we experienced it uh, and then we need to we need to adopt we need to adapt things so coach education frameworks uh, we adopt we adapt but we then have to form our own you know, our own character and that's shaped by what you truly believe in. And I come back to, are you a performance or are you a result-based coach? But as, a, as older coaches, you know, if you're unaware of this process, I think it's important to first be aware that you need to be aware, you know, there's something else going in front of you because that the more and older I get, the more and more I, I find out about things, the more, more I find out I don't. Mm. It takes you down different pathways, but it's been true and authentic to thyself and and really uh, with, with the intention to want to provide something for greater good for those in front of as opposed to, you know, the players will give you something back, but it's a feeling sport, as you know. You've been involved with it yourself. You know, there's lots of emotions generated from, you know, pig's bladder, the ball itself. But ultimately, you know, that what what we we want to get from it, it comes from it comes from what you see to be to be right. And as I say, that that performance or result base can either drive you because you want to get something from the players. Oh, you want to give something to the players? What can I? Add? What can I add value to? Because players, they want three things from us. They just want to know that you care for them. 
They want to know that you can help them. And no matter what age they are, players with the six or 26, if you don't have value and they suss that out, you're going to lose them. They will shut down on you. They'll move away. They'll become more distant. And the, the last thing which takes takes time is can they trust you? And and that element itself comes through how you how you present yourself, how you conduct yourself, how you communicate to them, how you show empathy to them during the, the highs and the lows. And it's actually being consistent. So older coaches or coaches across all spectrums, you know, those three things, do you care, can I learn, can I trust you? And then having that air of what can I give as a coach, rather what can I take from them, and that's a good starting point from my experiences in being around the game and coaching now for 37 years. Uh, it's, over, it's only over the last 10 years I've started to understand a little bit more and there's so much more to learn. And that, 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 that's what keeps me going. Talk in the book about pace before you lead. I, I really enjoyed this aspect where it's about building the relationship before you probably need the relationship. Which looking back again, it's an area that I struggled in, and especially as a college coach, where where players come in pre-season, ten days, boom, get them up and running. Probably in day two, you've confronted a player about something, you've tried to coach them, and you wonder why that player has a bad attitude about it, and I was like, oh. A hundred of these examples where I actually haven't built the relationship before I've worked with them. I wanted to get your thoughts on that, David, in the college environment. What would your experiences be on how to pace before you lead or what advice would you give to players or coaches? Sorry. So for the coaches, because I'm not going to go into too much detail around examples, but for, for those that, that are listening that maybe aren't sure, so... Pacing before leading is is entering another person's world um, on their terms to demonstrate that you have a, an understanding of where they're coming from. So it then allows you to, to lead and influence people because you've got a better understanding of, of where it is they're coming from. And the college game is, is so different. It, it's so different to any other um, league I guess we could say in the world in regards to the preparation time and the time that you have with the players from the moment they arrive on campus for preseason. But I think the big thing for me is, and, and, and asking that question, it's an interesting one because it, it takes me back to, to when I actually got recruited. Um, the moment you, you make that first phone call or you send that first email to connect with a player when you're recruiting them, you are you have an, an opportunity and the, the ability to build a connection with them and when they're making those phone calls just looking at it and are they doing enough to find out about the player but also to enter the world on their terms a little bit and finding out similarities with them what are the similarities um, finding out things that you agree on and, and taking it from there, and obviously when, when you've, if you've got the player on board, when they come on campus, you've got that short window to, to work with them. And, and I know you touched on it, Gary, it, it, it's difficult when they come in and maybe on the second day you've had to, you've had to get after a player for, for not doing something 
that maybe they should have done, or you have to intervene and, and coach. And and it it's difficult when you've when you've not built a, a solid relationship from the start. And I think that is a big challenge in college. But as long as you can do it from the start, from those first phone calls, and I think you have to make as a coach in college a bigger effort to build a relationship um, and to make them feel comfortable and to let them know that you care for them. And and I, I actually worked with um, uh, college coach Bob Riasso, who um, he was at Rutgers for for 30 odd years and, and then went into a, to a D2 school later down the line and won a national championship. And his, he cared for the players to the point where they knew that at any point, if they stepped out of line, he would get it. And there's a time and a place for it. And if players step out of line and they need to, they need to know, then it needs to happen. But he had such a good relationship with them that he could roast a player and 10 minutes later, he'd be have their arm around the shoulder telling them that he cares for them and what he's actually doing, he's doing to help them. And he was incredibly, the way that he managed the players for me, I learned so much from him, watching that and the way that he operated. Praising players, discussed in the book, encourages, challenges us to be a bit more specific about the praise. How does a coach do this without turning, you know, a well done or a good job into a coaching lecture? How do you get that balance right? I think what we've got to do, we've got to holistically praise where necessary and find, find the time to do that. Now, you can be, it becomes white noise after a period of time, Gary, where we're just praising just for the sake of it. And in the, in the performance environment or the result-based environment, you're working with professional athletes, effort really shouldn't be praised. It's something that should be a give me. You're then, you're then praising uh, or helping them along their pathway, their journey, where you, you're looking for things, the little minutiae, which is very specific for them. So if I, if I look at the younger ones, the younger players, you know, and I go into the effort, and it, it could be, I've just seen a player uh, away from the ball, just make a slight, and we're in possession. He makes a run to receive it, but he doesn't get it. I'm just it's recognising the run and acknowledging that either through a thumbs up or a, or a verbal comment which actually indicates there's something else taking place and it's specific for them. And, you know, the, the way you go about doing that is, for example, Gary, I, I, I saw what you did. That was excellent. Well done. I saw it. Now, you might know what it, you might not know even what it was, but at least there's been some form of acknowledgement. If it comes round to, uh, you know, to, to beating a player in a 1v1 where you're dominating, the, your, your intention is to go past the player and the 1v1 domination, and because it's a term that we use, and we've been working on going to your left-hand side and and you give it a go and it doesn't work, it's, 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 it's not worked yet, then afterwards it's a matter of them praising that. Now, right after that, or during the process of this, this uh, this confrontation with an opponent, they're not listening. So we can be encouraging them or asking them, go on, get at, go on, get at, them, which is general 
content, general information, but there actually, how many players actually truly listen to that and actually acknowledge it? It's finding the timely moment where it's it's having that great intense intense sense of timing where you where the ball goes out of play. Then you can actually, Gary, listen, I saw it, well done, give it another go, son. I love what you're doing. And through the through the energy of your voice and the tonality and the volume of that, or a thumbs up, then it becomes very specific rather than very generic. So, and the game, as you know, it's bespoke. It's an individual playing against himself or herself. It's to become your best you. If you try to be anything else, or we compare, they do at times, they compare themselves against someone else, then it's pulling them back to, to, to very specific detail around what is best for that individual based upon the coach's current knowledge base. And, and, and for me, that has been the greatest learning in that, that's taken place 15 years for me, where you know, I wanted to become the best the best coach on the planet in actual fact you know there's no intention to do anybody any harm but it's only now where I'm getting to understand where the very specific information which is which is diluted and it goes very narrow focused onto the individual's need rather than the, the generic where as I say if you go to performance or you go to result then I'm not I'm not if you're a result coach I'm not interested in the effort and praising the effort as a general might go for a period of time, but overall it gets it gets lost. Watch what they do, and then shut your own head down a little bit because I do. Talk, I think we talk a great deal too much at times, and actually not watching what's going on. Love the insight from Ryan May on the concept of returning to home base and the relationship. And again, it was one thing I one of many things in the book that I, I shook my head and was like, ah, oh, it's not a very complex concept, but I've been guilty of, why did I not work this out? But, you know, what, what's your take? Why do we struggle in that there? Why do we think that once we start the, start the relationship, something happens in it, and then we suddenly divert, but we never really check in. We always wait for the players to come to us. Uh, I'm sure I'm not the only one who struggled with it. Why, why do you think we do? I think we take for granted, Gary, too many things, too many times. It's like, you know, I'll come home, I've got my tea on the table, my wife's cooked the tea and I just take for granted she cooked the tea because she cooked the tea yesterday and the day before and the day before and the week before and we just take for granted. And and when we do that, uh, yeah, we're, not, we're not actually reconnecting. It's, it's, it's actually bringing true value to what's being given from someone else. So... When we, you know, when when Ryan alluded to returning to home base in the relationship, that's what he's that's what he's referring to. So, you know, what, you know, I'll be going to the club very shortly. I've got to be on my way in fifteen minutes' time. But what I'll be doing is we have the we have the, the security. I'll go through the gates. There'll be a female who will be opening. We'll have the shut the doors. She'll be opening the doors, and I can either walk in and not acknowledge that, or I can. Tr- true value to what she's doing and that's what it, that's what it's referring to is when we turn up and there's there's games taking place or players coming you know they they're giving you high five or they're shaking hands or the fist bumping or doing all those types of things nowadays 
do we really take it's getting back to do we take that is that taken for granted it's revisiting the things that work again and if they work they work again we just got to know that and if they're not we then need to readjust reevaluate and then move off or you know we've got to test certain things and see whether that functions and then if it does we then need to revisit and then go back to home base after a period of time it generally so in 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 uh, in general it's it's a matter of revisiting and reflection and then reevaluating we've got to change and we've got to change very very quickly mm. so that's really what ryan you know that i, I quite like it was you know that insight from ryan uh, who's a who's a super young man you know when he mentioned that returning to home base in relationships that's really what he's alluded to i think as well gary i know my dad touched on it earlier is one of the things players and athletes want from you is they want to know if you care for them you can spend all the time building up this great relationship and finding out about a player, but if you then never go back towards what worked in the first place, then to the player it shows, you know, does the coach really care for me? Because he hasn't really looked at how I'm doing or how my family is. And, and I think, you know, when you build that relationship and you, you're asking questions, the key is to, to listen to the answer and to pay deep attention to it and and to keep hold of it. And we, we touched in the book a little bit on, if I ask you, uh, do you have a dog? Um, and I know, I know with, with my dad. I'll talk my head straight away then. <laughs> yeah, if you ask him... If you know that my dad's got a dog and you delve into that and then six months down the line when you talk to him again, you ask him how the dog's doing, that then, it, it shows a great deal and I know how that would make my dad feel. And I look at that, of how it would make him feel, well, when we're dealing with players, how will it make them feel when we ask them about something or we revisit things that they care about? Because they want to know that we care for them. So if we show that we care about what it is they care about, it, it goes a great way for us. You're talking about there, David, that, that coach understanding more about the player and, and showing them you care. But Support groups are also very important for us as coaches and coach-to-coach relationships. Looks like you've been very, very fortunate to have that with your father. And Keith, I know you talk about, and there's a 10% of the profits going to the, the fund, the foundation that, that Dick Bate Everyone in the U.S. knows Dick Bate and, and he was the convention shining light for so many years. Can you talk about the impact that he had on your journey? Yeah, I, I met Dick 35 years ago, Gary, and the, the, we, we haven't got enough time on this call mm -hmm. to talk about him. I never, I never, after knowing him for so many years, I never knew him. I never heard him talk about man or woman and speak about them in a derogatory way. His values and how he treated people was was uh, was exemplary, and he's such a, an humble man. But when he when the when the lights came on, you know, when he was presenting and either practically or theoretically, there was some magic. It just it was just a washing. His verbal vitamins just hit you, and it hit you deeply. 
And I was intrigued by how he, he did that. I was very fortunate whereby he, he asked me to, I said, he meant to Dick Bear, but he actually rang me up, and I'll never forget it, but he, he rang me up on one Friday night, and he, uh, you know, he said, it, nobody actually critiques, he was with the England setup back then, and he, he, uh, he asked me to work with him, you know, with a view videos, and it was, I never slept that weekend, it, it was, it was, it was an experience that I'll never forget, and so, he directed courses, he directed, he was a UEFA tutor, he was a FIFA instructor, he directed many, many courses across the world and his, inf his influence, Gary, was was beyond anything I can articulate in. You know, whenever I speak about him, I speak very fondly about the, the, the Dick and I miss him immensely. Uh, I, I just felt, you know, what we needed to do is there's something, and it was something that David and I spoke about, and it was a great idea. I think it's a fantastic idea. It's, hey, we dedicate Dick because of, you know, there's got to be a legacy, and I, I, that was important. And secondly, how can we actually support a fund or a trust that actually helped him in his latter, latter days of life? And, you know, I think anybody who's listening to or watching this podcast that, will each have somebody who's created this football in memory and Dick has I have many fond memories of Dick and and so for us to, to provide funds you know 10% of the profit we just mentioned from the book is going to the to the trust which which looked after him but he, anyone here now listening is, is get find a mentor get a mentor and who might be more experienced or more qualified than yourself, and that—that's what Dick was for me, and that's what he did to me. And and you know, I've I've been having so much quality time with him. Was uh, it was special? And, and David mentioned about Mavericks. Well, that's a, that, that's exactly what Dick he was, uh, and he continues to have that. We we just want to keep that legacy moving along. Okay, last one for me. The book is about you know adapting evolving fantastic message what's the biggest piece of advice that you both would have to coaches young and old there's two for me i think the first one is you never know where your next learning will come from so it doesn't mean that it's necessarily within soccer it could be you could be at starbucks and you meet somebody that that teaches you a lesson that you weren't expecting and you weren't ready for. And I have I have mentors that are uh, that are out that are in the sport that have helped me immensely. And and I've been I can't express how fortunate I've been to grow with my dad and be around him and and have his guidance and his leadership and and the help that he's shown me and and the things that he's that he's done for me. Uh, I wouldn't be where I am right now, but I've also been fortunate to to meet people that I, I didn't expect. I have a friend that's in his seventies that I never, at the time of meeting him, I, it's a long story, so I couldn't go into it. But I met him in the middle of Preston, and he's from North Carolina, and I, he's someone I class as a friend, but he's someone that I class as a mentor too. And I've learned lessons from him that 
that that are in life, but I've taken them into sports and into coaching. So for me, the the being open because you never know where your next learning is going to come from, and then having a mentor or having mentors, and it doesn't necessarily doesn't always have to be within the sport. It could be people outside of it that may have big experiences and learnings that you can take that will help you become better than you already are at what you're doing. I call that, uh, Gary, the, the hidden school. It's opportunities everywhere. we just got to be mindful of it and be ready for it. Bravo, I have a checklist. You know, I think that your questions, by the way, have been excellent. And the, but the biggest, the biggest piece of advice to coaches, and it, it, it's, it's a checklist, and it's, it's really finding out. You know, you've got to learn from what doesn't work. That's the important thing. What, what's not working, and if you continue to do that, continue to do the same thing. So, what doesn't work, uh, you've you then got to pay attention, and, and pay attention to observing what's actually occurring in front of you to give you that more accurate picture. The, the second thing beyond that is then you need to reflect on that information and reflect deeply. You know, so you plan, you then do, you, you then reflect, you do it, then you review. And then we need to, we need to educate and, and we've got to find areas where, you know, you believe you've got a shortfall, but by cream, you've got to fill that void then with energy and an energy that it drives you, gets you out of bed first thing in the morning. The fourth thing, Gary, you, you, we need to keep up with with current trends and the game changes, evolves, and you know the sharp end. We, what we've got to do is reverse engineering, go from what what's working, at, what is currently happening within our league, within the Premier League. What are they doing? And athletes, are, you know, they're getting quicker, faster, stronger. But the practice design. So we so current trends. We then need to strip it back and reverse engineer and keep things simple keep it relative and keep it realistic to the game I've seen lots of fancy practices but they have no bearing on the game you know there's, if you're going to practice and have no goals what's the point in playing when you have goals you're not practicing for what you're going to what you're going to what you're going to face uh, get, David's already mentioned he's to have mentors yeah, and, 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 I've, you know I've, I've got mentors I've been or out the game but find suitable mentors somebody's going to be honest somebody who will tell you exactly right Tell you exactly what it's about. They're either experienced within the game, or they've either got more qualifications than, but they're just there's someone that you can trust. And then the you know that you need to be brave, and be courageous, and and you know believe in what you what you feel is right. And then the last thing is just be yourself, be authentic, be brave, and be authentic. Because if you're being anything other than that, who are you being? Just and so all of that accumulation of, and I know there's quite a few, you know, that's the biggest, biggest set of advice, a, a checklist that I can give anyone. And I, and it, and it's for me, it's it, it's uh, it, it, those are formulas for success. That if you follow those strategies and those processes, of the process and then the strategies, then you know the game's evolving, the game's changing, and then what we're doing ultimately is we're helping. The end user, which is the which is the player, and and if we're not got them, you know, in the, the upper part of the mind, then what can we do in it for? And I know they give us something back, but we've got to go in there with the right intention to want to help somewhere because it's such a powerful medium the game nowadays, where you know 
you know, particularly in the Premier League, they, they play a game, they play a year in the set in the Premier League, but play less in the year. They're, they're multi-millionaires, so there's expectations. So, what gifts can we give each player or a set of players? You know, it's it's the it's the 21st of January today, and it's Christmas Day for me. For when I go in, the players, I, I wanted to give them a present. That's the intention. So, you know, give them the enthusiasm and the energy and. But that, that's the greatest advice I can actually give. And I know we've waffled on a little bit, but no, it's, uh, it's important. Brilliant, brilliant. Well, here, i got to let you go. Keith, you're shooting off the training now, so uh, I'm so glad we got this in. And absolutely great way to finish it, but I'm going to encourage everyone to go and get the book. And I, it's given me a lot to think about, so thanks for putting it out there. And uh, I look forward to the next one. So the, the book, Goldust... How to become a more effective coach quickly. Gary, it's been absolutely fantastic. I really Brilliant. I really appreciate your time and your professionalism and the way that you've conducted yourself. And the questions have been really, really, really good for us to uh, to think more deeply. Well, I appreciate it. Appreciate it. Yeah, I, I second that as well, Gary. The, been excellent. the questions have they've been fantastic. Thanks so much to David and Keith for their time and their insight there. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Yeah, similar to the book there, that conversation, you know, there's so many layers to communication and when we talk about it online, similar to how we talk about culture, we always say how important it is and how you can't coach without it and how critical it is to development, etc., etc. But we don't really go into how we can develop better ways to communicate. And then from experience and working with players, when you go down a road of looking at communication a little more in depth, you realize that it's way more complex and there are so many variables that can change at different levels, at different ages, with different players and in different environments. But I think we do need to be looking closer at how we're presenting information, how we're building these relationships and how we're actually challenging players. And that's what I really enjoyed from Keith there was, it's not just enough to get by on you know, hello, someone likes you and you like them and it's great, there's a great relationship. That's not enough in an environment where you're trying to to challenge a player, trying to improve a player, trying to improve a team. And then when you're taking that task on, you need to constantly look at the future of your relationship and where it's going to go next. And there's so many different layers to it. So what I enjoyed about the book was, was the way it was set out. It makes you think in every chapter, but it also gives you perspectives of, such and such tried this or, or this worked at such and such a level and, and that's what was, was a great reflection exercise for me because little things like building the relationship before you try and coach somebody and how you might be challenged whenever that relationship isn't strong enough uh, that was that was so so easy for me to when I reflected uh, to see how I had made mistakes in that area but then it's not so easy at the time because Again, you might be looking at 30 or 40 other things. So, yeah, yeah, absolutely brilliant. Really, really enjoy that conversation from David and Keith there. And we'd, we'd urge you to go and, and get the book and take a read of it. And, and hopefully it makes as much of an impact to you as it did to me. So please let me know what you think. At Gary Kernin on Instagram. At Gary Kernin on Twitter. Appreciate your support. I will speak to you next week. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. For more coaching topics, 
sessions, and resources, head on over to Coach Kernine on Facebook or visit the website at www.modernsoccercoach.com. 